I want to show you something this morning. <clears throat> I want to show you just how a couple of degrees of compromise from faith can make for a real mess down the road. That thought is something I want to begin the morning with, but it's something I want to land the plane with at the end of the morning. I want to give you a little bit of context for Isaiah for the benefit of those that may be with us for the first time or may have been uh, out. Um, I want to kind of reacquaint you very briefly with the context. Isaiah is a prophet to Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom of Israel. There's the northern kingdom that's called Israel, and then there's Judah to the south. Um, Isaiah is a prophet to Judah during the period leading up to the Babylonian exile. This is a period in our Bibles that covers a significant space in our Bibles text-wise, but it is admittedly a little bit complicated in, in making sense of the, the dynamics, who's who and who's where and what's going on. If you want to place the story in space, time-wise, sort of where the flow of the story fits, uh, maybe a nice place to start would be sort of the high-water mark of the Exodus. The Exodus would be about 1,500 years before Christ. If you want to know where the story of the Exodus is in your Bible, there's a book titled Exodus, and that's a good place to sort of put one pole up or one marker. And then the time of Christ, the coming of Christ, would be about, not exactly, but it's about 0 B.C., would be right about the time, about 1,500 years later when Christ comes, would place where we are right now about midpoint about 700 years between those two events, okay? Leading up, a time leading up to the Babylonian exile. By this point, Israel is split into two kingdoms. There's Israel to the north, Judah to the south, and Judah is under threat from Israel and another country called Syria. Syria and Israel are in cahoots, are conspiring, literally, to come against Judah. Now, Judah in an act of faithlessness, led by their king, King Ahaz, reaches out for a whole nother king and a whole nother country and army to come to their defense, and that's the country of Assyria and the king Tiglath-Pileser. Okay? So that's just kind of a thumbnail sketch of where we are in the story. Uh, God appeals through Isaiah to Ahaz, don't make this deal. I'm right here, Judah. I will protect you. But Judah goes on ahead and makes the deal. And then Isaiah has a front row seat to a what we're going to call a growing departure between two groups of people. A faithful remnant in Judah and then the rest. Okay, that's kind of reacquainting, with you, reacquainting you with what you may have heard over the last few weeks. There are those that are with God and Isaiah. He's, he's a guy to watch this, this morning. He's a guy to watch throughout the book of Isaiah, but especially so this morning. There's a group of people that are with Isaiah and with God, and those people are called the few, the remnant, and Emmanuel. Okay, if you want some names that are used synonymously with that few, it's the few, the remnant, and Emmanuel. And then there's the rest, okay, who are not with Isaiah, who are not with God, who the masses of Judah that are not listening to God. So this morning is going to develop the distinction between these two groups even more. Okay? I even have a visual aid complete with laser pointer toward the end. It's going to help. And uh, some real well, well prepared slides that you'll see. Um, but it's going to develop the distinction even further. And I think it has relevance for us. This would be 2,700 years later. 
in a call to be distinct in 2016 leading into 2017. To be a distinct people. To be okay with that. In fact, to embrace that and to want to be that. So first of all, I want to gather up what we found last week. I'm going to begin reading in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. And we're going to gather up just a few of the details there because verses 11 through the end of the chapter sort of fit together. Okay, So we're not going to spend a lot of time rehashing or anything like that. Just gathering up the goods. Chapter 8, verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me, this would be the Lord speaking to Isaiah, with his strong hand upon me, with a strong message. He warned me not to walk in the way of this people. That's a central call to Isaiah and to the remnant. Don't walk with the masses. Okay, Don't walk the way they're going to walk. And he gives them some specifics here. Don't call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. What's unfolding to the north? Have a different set of eyes on what's unfolding up there. It is a conspiracy, but call it something different. Just don't call it a conspiracy. Call it a ham sandwich. I don't care what you call it. Don't call it a conspiracy because I'm involved. Is basically what God is saying to them. Trust me, don't fret over what's going up there to the north. And that's what he says next. Don't fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Instead, fear the Lord is what he says. The Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And there's a beautiful promise. And he will become a sanctuary. A great promise to this little remnant. Trust him. Don't fear what they're fearing. Fear the Lord instead. And he will become a sanctuary. But then there's that dreadful promise in there also. The rest of that. For those who aren't trusting in God. For those who aren't Um, with Isaiah, for those that aren't part of the remnant, those that aren't part of Emmanuel, God will be a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. God calls Isaiah and those with him not to walk in the way of the people. Okay? Don't call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. Don't fear what the masses fear. Fear God instead, and he will be a sanctuary. That's what we gathered up last week. Now, we're going to continue the rest of this chapter. What I'm going to do to kind of give you a plan, kind of our map for the morning, is I'm going to break down this, these verses just maybe a couple at a time, just with a very brief unpacking, just so we're familiar with the passage. And then I'm going to take you to three applications that just sort of fall out of this passage. Okay? Beginning in verse 16. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Now this charge to bind up the testimony and seal the teaching among his disciples is not an encouragement to Isaiah to keep that message from the masses. He's not telling them to put a a bushel over the lamp. He's not telling them to hide the message for the masses. It's a message of instead guard it. Make sure that it's not tampered with. Make sure that it's not diluted. Make sure that it's not messed up. Guard the message. Protect it from compromise is the point that's being made there. And then in verse 17 is Isaiah's declaration. I will wait for the Lord. You could just almost imagine Isaiah raising his hand. I will. It sounds like Joshua's. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. You can just almost feel the grit 
in this declaration from Isaiah. I will wait on the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will hope in him. It feels a little bit like a halftime speech, not from the coach, but from another player, a seasoned player, that gritty player that sort of is the natural leader. That's Isaiah in this context, and he's calling the team to fidelity, wait on the Lord, hope in him. Verse 18, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. Now, portents is a real word. What's that word? Or a real strange word. The word means symbols. Okay? I and the, the, the children that the Lord has given me are signs and symbols in Judah is the point that he's making. And he's speaking literally about his own children. You remember his, his first and second child there that we know of anyway are Shear Jashub, which means a remnant shall remain. And then Meher Shalal Hashbaz is the second kid. And we know that that means speed the spoil, hasten the prey. In 2016 terms, it means bring on the booty whipping. Remember that? Okay, bring on the booty whipping to the north. These boys are signs and symbols in Judah, literally, that came from the Lord of hosts. But it can include, sort of indirectly, the rest of those that are with Isaiah. It's not only speaking of his sons. But it's at, 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 it is definitely speaking of a sense, but it would include the people that are with Isaiah as they navigate through this dark period in Judah. Now let's look at verse 19. And when they say to you, okay, Isaiah is speaking to the remnant here. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? He's given some instructions to the remnant here that when you're tempted by the masses to seek counsel from other sources other than the Lord, here's what you need to hold on to. Hold on to God. Okay, apparently these uh, mediums and necromancers, it was a very common thing back then. It's not an unfamiliar, uncommon thing now. Annie, in our staff meeting, we talk about the sermon every week, and Annie pointed out that there was a palm reader that was right up the street here by Get It Quick, a store there that has since closed down. And it, she just kind of laughed out loud. She said, that's really funny that you would think that someone who's able to read palms and sort of project the future would know that this business is not going to succeed, so maybe we ought not even open it in the first place. <laughs> it's kind of funny, isn't it? I don't know that many of us are tempted to seek out necromancers, uh, those who communicate with the dead, are mediums, but apparently that was a very common thing in that time. Isaiah points out the silliness of that, to consult the dead on behalf of the living. I was thinking it would be sort of like finding financial advice, seeking financial advice from a guy who's flat broke. <laughs> That's just not even smart. That's just dumb. Like, like asking for auto repair advice from someone who doesn't even own a car or from someone that crashed their car and blew their engine. Okay, it just doesn't even make sense. It's so dumb, really dumb. Now, verse 20. To the teaching and to the testimony. It's another cry. Okay, maybe Isaiah lifted his other arm in this, but it's another gritty sort of call. To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. It's another rally cry to the remnant, taking them to the word. While the many will run to whatever source they can find, necromancers, mediums, whatever it might be, God's people are to run to his word. Man, it's beautiful in its simplicity. And if we can, we can 
Think about the connection that in contrast to the word of the dead that a necromancer might give you, God's word is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. I think I'll, I'll pass on the word from the dead guys and take on a living word that actually is going to be helpful. And then uh, also in verse 20, there's this picture that those who don't consult God's word, those who don't uh, move according to God's word, condemn themselves to perpetual darkness, never experiencing a dawn. That's what life is like for a wordless people or a wordless family, perpetual darkness, no dawn. Man, that's a sad existence. Verse 21 and 22, let's finish out the chapter. This people that dismiss God's word, the people that live in this perpetual darkness, having no dawn, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward, and then they will look to the earth. But behold, darkness and distress and darkness the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is the result of godless, wordless movement. It will be perpetual darkness and perpetual hunger. I love me some Chinese food. I love it, love it, but I'm always hungry about an hour later. I ain't gonna lie. I ain't gonna lie. And that's what life would be like for them. For them, it's wordless people, this godless people, perpetual hunger. And you know, you ever get so hungry that you get mad? Okay, there's a word for that. It's the word hangry. I'm hangry. I'm so hungry. I'm angry. I'm hangry. They're gonna be a hangry people where they're gonna get so mad at the king and their God, yet they're not moving according to his word. That's how it works out. I found a great quote from a guy named John Oswald. He's one of my commentators. He said, "Those and they, as they look up to the heavens, they won't find any relief. As they look to the earth, they won't find any relief either. And listen to this quote. It's so good. Those who depend on the earth for solutions to the earth's problems only compound their darkness. What a great reality. A sad reality. What a great quote. Man. Instead, this people, this godless, wordless people, will find distress, darkness, gloom, and thick. Not, not only darkness, but thick darkness. Now this is, I really believe, a pep talk not only to the remnant, but I think I, in some ways Isaiah is giving this pep talk to himself. I think he may be reminding himself we are going through a very dark period. The lights are getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And I want to be faithful, and I want to call this children that God has put with me to be faithful as well. It's like a rally. It's like a St. Crispin's Day speech. Man, let's be true. Let's be faithful. It's a call to fidelity. And it looks like he's pretty serious about this people faithfully navigating the coming darkness and the coming judgment. He calls Emmanuel to wait and hope and to hold fast to the teaching and the testimony. Now... As to the application, I have three passages for you to turn to first. And you can go ahead and be ready to start looking those up. You can start looking them up. Uh, you can put fingers or, or um, bookmarks in them, whatever. First is Galatians 1. The second is 1 Corinthians 15. And the third is 1 Peter 2. And this is going to speak to my first application point. 
I told you the application points just fall out of this passage. The first two really do. The third we have to work a little harder at. But the first two, and the first one is, bind up and seal the testimony and hold fast to the teaching and the testimony. That's one. Bind up, seal, and hold fast to the teaching and the testimony. That's sort of a synthesis of verse 16 in chapter 8 and verse 20. Bind it up, seal it. Don't guard it. Don't don't keep it from the masses. Just guard it and make sure it doesn't get fouled up or compromised. And then also run to it. Hold fast to it in this time of darkness. To the testimony and the teaching, that charge of verse 20. So first passage I want you to look at is Galatians chapter 1. Apparently it's been an age-old problem of the message getting messed with. Okay, this is a message to the Galatians 700 years later, 700 and some change years later. This encouragement to the Galatian church is based on the problem that there have been some people that have crept into the Galatian church. They're called Judaizers who've taken the message that Paul brought to them and they've twisted it and they've messed with it. Apparently, it's a thousands of year old problem where God's message is prone to people messing with it and fouling with it. And this is Paul speaking to the Galatian church in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are returning to a different gospel. He equates departure from the gospel that Paul brought with a departure from Christ. Do you see that? See how urgent that is. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him. He didn't say that you're deserting my message. He said, you're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. In other words, there's only one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should flit in on his wings and preach to you a different gospel or a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say now, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. It is apparently an age-old problem where people want to mess with the message. You don't think that could be a problem now? You're being foolish if you think that our message, the message that we are called to hold to, can't be tampered with and can't be messed with. It is a thousands-of-year-old problem. I want to encourage you that our approach to binding and sealing up the gospel and the good news and the word should be an uncompromising dedication to faithful exegesis. That's the word for how we expose our Bible. Okay, That we should be students of that. And faithful exposition. Do you want to entrust yourself to a surgeon that just sort of blunders along? Maybe he watched a video on YouTube or something. He's just going to... He's got a pocket knife. He's going to cut you open. Or do you want a guy that has a system? A guy that has learned a faithful system. Man, I want to call us to continue on because I believe we're squarely in it right now by the grace of God. By the grace of God. And because you're a people that can handle it and that expect it. But we must never compromise on that. Some of you who are visiting churches this morning and this is your stop. Maybe you're looking for a church home. It's okay if it's not us. I mean that with everything in me. We celebrate other churches in this community. We haven't gotten it all figured out and everybody else is broken. 
But let me, talk, let me encourage you in this. Do not compromise on that. If you go visit a church that's not faithfully exposing God's word with a system, with a faithful, predictable system of exposing it and making sense of it, even if they have the best fellowship in the world, even if they have the best music in the world, I've heard the reasons why people might, sat, might settle for a church family. Man, can you believe their worship and song? The preaching is sort of lame. But can you believe their worship and song? And they're so friendly. Man, that, don't compromise on the message. Because when you compromise on the message, anything can happen to it. Anything can bind it up, seal it, protect it, guard it. Make that an uncompromising expectation of your church. And if you're walking with us as a people, expect it of one another. That we're faithful about how we navigate through this word. Second passage I want you to look at is 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Did this thing shut down a little bit? or No. Okay, I thought it did. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Interestingly enough, this is another passage contextually that's dealing with the potential of a message being messed with in the Corinthian church. Apparently, Paul is dealing with someone who have, uh, some people who have said that the resurrection of the dead has already happened. Okay? So some people are teaching, they're messing with the message. Okay, and here's what Paul says in chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Notice he didn't say even hold fast to Christ right there. Holding fast to that, that faithful message that he preached, that gospel message that he preached, is synonymous with holding fast to Christ. You see how important that message is. He says, man, hold fast to that message unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Man, it is a simple message. Don't mess with it. It doesn't need any flourish. It doesn't need dancing girls. It doesn't need a light show. It doesn't need a smoke machine. Stick with the message. Be faithful to it. And bind it and seal it and hold fast to it. To the teaching and the testimony. Run to it. Cling to it. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 is the last passage I wanted you to look at in this, on this point. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, in my ESV, leaves a little phrase out that the NAS includes. Some of you that might be NAS sort of people. You may have that in front of you. And I want to point this out. Contextually... This passage, Peter has been dealing with the Word. Okay? Toward the end of chapter 1, he's been dealing with the, here it is, the end of verse 23, the living and abiding Word of God. Okay? He's talking the Word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fail, uh, the glory of the, uh, all flesh is like grass, and all, the, all its glory like the the flower of the grass, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then in chapter 2, he starts talking about something that is connected back to the word. Look in chapter 2. He says, put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. Now, what the word, the phrase that's left out in the ESV 
that contextually is fitting and appropriate that's in the NAS is that long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Man, of the word. Bind it up, seal it, hold fast to it, run to it, even long for it like a baby is crying for milk. Now here's my encouragement there. A little, just a brief little encouragement dealing with the baby commentary. Long for it, gulp it down, be eager for it, but don't be like a baby when it comes to getting it. Okay, this is my encouragement to you. At the end of the year, as we're coming close to the new year, if you're not on a Bible reading plan, now's the time to make the plan. Not to start in January 14th or March. I ought to be reading through the Bible. I wish I'd do that this year. I didn't do it last year. How about planning right now to start January 1 to read through the Bible, to be so saturated with God's Word that little alarms will go off if you hear a pulpit that's that's departing from God's Word. That you can be a teammate in that, not just a passenger, but a participant in hearing so that you're so tuned into it that not only are you guarding the pulpit, but you're guarding your family's movement because you're saturated with this word. It's that good that we bind it up, we seal it, we run to it, we hold fast to it, we long for it like a baby longs for milk, but don't be a big old baby just waiting to get fed. Man, start reading your Bibles. Read your Bibles. And some of you need to put a Bible on your Christmas list. Seriously. If you don't have, I, I see some of y'all carrying around these Bibles that are like children's, like it's cool for children to carry around children's Bible, but dads, it's time to grow up. Get you a big old man Bible. Get some man calfskin or something, some manly leather on it. Put your name up on it and make it your own. Man, some of y'all, your wives are ripping up your Bible and some of y'all are watching them. Man, get you a good Bible for Christmas. I highly encourage the ESV. It's what I preach from. I think it's the best that I've found that's a faithful handling of the original language, but in a way that's in sort of paragraphs where you can make sense of the context. Okay, NAS breaks it up verse by verse by verse. ESV does a better job of sort of giving you thoughts as paragraphs. It's easier to sort of make sense of the storyline. I would encourage you, get an ESV. If you really want to go long and ask for something really awesome, get you an ESV study Bible. Then you're really throwing it down. ESV Study Bible is the best. I mean the best. You can check me while I'm preaching. You can look at the notes down there because they're awesome. It's good stuff. So that's my plug to encourage you. Here's the third thing having to do with binding, sealing, and holding fast to the testimony and teaching. I want want to encourage you to watch your step. Watch your step in how you move regarding the exposition, the teaching, the preaching of God's Word. If... Infidelity starts with a look. I've found that departure from God's faith starts with a missed Sunday. Now, this isn't my encouragement to never miss a Sunday. Because Christy and I will miss a Sunday from time to time. But, man, I'm telling you what, if I'm in Greenville and I'm breathing and I'm not in the hospital, I'm up in here because I need to hear from Scott or Brad. Ultimately, I need to hear from the Lord because I believe that Scott is, or that God is communicating a message through Scott or through Brad, or whatever preacher is standing up here has been given charge to give a message to this people. I want to hear it, and I don't want to hear it over the Internet. Man, lean on the, on the Internet if you're sick. 
Lean on it if somebody in the family is deathly ill and you just got to be up in there hearing it. Man, I'm thankful for the internet. But that can be a crutch and it can be the first step to, man, I think I'm just going to watch it this morning because I really don't want to be around people. Okay, that turns into the next Sunday. It's easier to do the same thing. And then before long, what you can do is you can find yourself at home when the game is coming on or cross points coming on and you're like, game, cross point, game, cross point. I'll get caught up on that this week. Let's watch the game. I'm talking, it begins with little tiny little departures, just a degree or two. But then before long, you find yourself, we haven't been in church in weeks. We've departed from the message. We're not running to it. We're not holding fast to it. All manner of things can take us away from it. Just be careful and watch your step. Don't let a season of work take you away from the teaching and preaching of the word. Don't let a time of sickness, a season of sickness, even take you away from the teaching and preaching of the word. God's people need it. You need it. Just be careful. Be careful. Man, don't fret over having to miss a Sunday or two. But just be careful that it doesn't become a season, that before long it becomes your life and you're gone. Infidelity starts with a look. So make a covenant with your eyes like Job, never to look on another woman with lust. Let's start at the beginning. If you're breathing, let your kids know, if I'm breathing, we're going to be up in God's house. We're going to be with God's people. Kids, you remind me if you see a weakness in me. And I'll remind you, kids, this is a family venture. Let's be in on this thing together. Let's not be compromising when it comes to running to the testimony and the teaching. Let me confess something to you. This portion of the sermon, I thought, um, I thought, man, another encouragement to not depart from God's word. That's kind of, I mean, we do that a lot. That comes up a lot in, in sermons across point. And you know what's kind of funny? Have you noticed that we move, move verse by verse through books of the Bible at cross point? That we don't have sort of soapbox series? Okay, we... Moving verse by verse, if it comes up a lot, ought to tell us that it, it matters to God and that we're prone to wander. Anybody else? <laughs> prone to wander. We sing about it all the time. Man, we need to be reminded that we need to make a beeline to God's word. It's what we hold fast to when it gets dark. It's all we have to hold fast to. It is synonymous with holding fast to Christ. Hear that. You heard that in these messages, in these passages that I read to you. It is synonymous with holding fast to Christ. It is how we hold fast to Him. It's all we're going to ever have at Cross Point. I hope and pray. I hope and pray it's all we will ever have. If some people say, say "Man, we visited Cross Point and we heard about Cross Point," all those guys ever do is just preach from the Word, man. We just all oh, every Sunday, man. You know, we got to pull that Bible out, and we're all over Bible, man. My fingers are tired, pages are worn out. You're right. I hope it never changes because that's all we've got. And it's all we need. It's all I want, frankly. No pizzazz. I don't want want pizzazz. Okay, we don't need any pizzazz. Let's just make a beeline to his word. No light shows. Just his word. Guarded and um, grasped. Long for it. Second point this morning is to wait on the Lord and hope in him. Isaiah's declaration... In verse 17, that I will wait on him and I will hope in him. The word hope 
in that translation in Hebrew is actually the word that's translated elsewhere, waiting eagerly. It would be like Isaiah saying, let me go back to the passage because I want to read it verbatim the way it would read in verse 17. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will wait eagerly for him. That's what that word means in the Hebrew. I will wait for the Lord and I just don't want to just kind of exist. I want to wait eagerly for him. That hoping and waiting eagerly are synonymous. Just think about that. We use that word all the time, hope. That waiting is part of hoping? They're almost synonymous. That's beautiful. Think about this. I don't know of any Old Testament or New Testament blessing that God gave his people that didn't involve some waiting. I can't think of one. Man, Abram and Sarai, I'm going to give you a child. But Abraham and Sarah weren't too good at waiting, were they? Hey, um, Abraham, here's Hagar. Let's see if we can rush God's plans and let's see if we can conjure up an answer to what he's promised us. How about Ishmael, God? Man, we're not great, on, great at waiting, are we? But Isaiah calls himself and his people to it. Wait on the Lord. Hope in him. Wait eagerly on him. I've heard before that music reflects our times. So I thought as I was, as I was studying this point, I was thinking of the music of their times. It's interesting. We have a songbook. Of their times, and it's called the Book of Psalms. Listen to this theme that runs throughout the Book of Psalms on waiting. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Psalm 25. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, for I wait all day long. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Psalm 27, that's all from 25. 27, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take courage while you wait. The the unimpressive work of waiting, right? Look how strong they are waiting. You ever have that thought? And that's the message of Psalms or this theme. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Instead, wait on the Lord. Mm, that's good medicine. That's good medicine. Also in 39 or 37, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. It's a theme. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Psalm 38. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. Psalm 62. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. And our Advent reading this morning, if you were paying attention, Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits... And in his word, I hope. Man, it's the message of Isaiah 8. Holding on to his word and 
waiting. But we're not very good at waiting, are we? We're not very good at waiting. I went to uh, dinner a couple weeks ago with some friends, a um, couple other families, a couple other couples, Christy and I. And I'm hesitant to even tell you the restaurant because I don't want you to go and then we don't have room to go. I mean, I'm being really stingy. It's that good. It may be one of the best meals that I've had in the last few years. Okay? And I'm getting no kickbacks, no gift certificates by sharing this, but I'm going to hit share with you. It's in McKinney, and the name of it is Rye. R-Y-E. And it's tiny. It's it just, it's, it makes you, it's so small it makes you mad because you know you're going to have to wait. And in fact, that's what happened. We showed up there and there was a table. We checked in and um, we checked in and uh, there's a table near the window, a big sizable table. I think there were six of us. So we needed a little bit larger table in this little bitty restaurant. And there was a, a group there that had already eaten, or no, they'd already eaten their meal and they were ordering dessert. Okay. And they told us it's going to be about a 30-minute wait, I think, something like that, 30, 40-minute wait. So we kind of walked around McKinney, and we came back. Well, that table full is still sitting there. Okay, they've eaten their dessert. There's not a scrap of dessert left, and they're just sitting, just jaw-jacking, just talking. And I'm, I'm getting mad. I'm hangry. I mean, I'm hangry. I'm, I'm getting mad. Well, it got worse. They paid their bill, and then they all kept talking. And it went on and on and on. And I bet it was close to an hour by the time they actually left. And as they walked out, it was so funny. It's funny now. It wasn't funny then. As they walked out, they kind of turned to each other like, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. A bunch of people that work together. I want to just tackle them and say, y'all spend all that time talking together. When you're going to see each other tomorrow, do you know how hangry I am? Man, here's the thing, though. When you're waiting... What you tend to do is you get hangry and you settle. I almost settled. I almost encouraged the rest of our crew to settle with the square burger. If you've ever eaten at the square burger that's about three doors down, it's not really settling. But compared to the rye, it would have been settling. And that's what happens when you don't wait well. Is you get hangry and you look up and you look down and you get mad at everything. And then you settle. And man, God's people are being called here through Isaiah. Don't settle for anything. Let me share a passage with you from 1 Thessalonians. I, I loved finding this. I, I love to see these, these lists of affirming um, things that, that God sees in a church, that he shares with the Thessalonian church. Because a lot of times, honestly, I look at these lists and I see these things in y'all. That, that's an encouragement to you. But I, here's something I saw in, in this passage. And, and you can jot this down or you can turn there if you turn really quick. 1 Thessalonians 1, um, beginning in verse 8. It's, it's like a list of commendables for the Thessalonian church. Listen to this list. Okay? There's some things you would expect, but maybe some things not. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, Thessalonians... Man, you're doing good. I heard that it's sounding forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Man, you guys are getting the good news out. That's what he says. You'd, like, you'd hope you'd see that on the list for a list of commendables for a church, right? Okay, let's keep reading. For they themselves 
report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. We've heard about your conversion, Thessalonians. You turned from real idols, real idol worship, to worship God. And look at verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. It made a commendable list for a church. You guys are great waiters. Have you ever thought you won't be good at that? You're supposed to be. We're supposed to be. You guys are great at waiting. Golly. You're not settling. And you're not getting hangry. And you're not going after one another. And you're not getting mad at God. And you're not getting mad at circumstances. You're just waiting. Man, I would love, love God to build that into us more. You know that Advent is a season where we actually do that intentionally. We celebrate waiting. I did some research on Advent and found this. Advent, the word was derived from the Latin word adventus, okay, which is further derived from a Greek word parousia, which is the word that talks about Christ's second coming. Okay, listen, listen to the rest of this. Scholars believe that during the 4th and 5th centuries in Spain and Gaul, Advent was a season of preparation for the baptism of new Christians where they studied the life of Jesus. Okay? Well, Roman Christians then later, by the 6th century, tied Advent to the coming of Christ. And I'm not talking the previous coming. I'm talking the next coming. Advent originally was about celebrating together the work of waiting it was only in the middle ages that it became something where it looked back as well to his first advent his first coming advent used to be in the oldest sense in the first earliest sense a time where we that god's people waited together for christ's return it's a time to celebrate waiting and a time to hope slash eagerly wait together Man, I love that concept. I love that thought. Now, here's the third thing. The third application I told you might be a little bit harder. and I don't, It's not going to be harder uh, in terms of thought. It's just not as obvious from the passage. Those two things, I hope you just saw those just plop right out. I hope you did. I hope you've been walking with us long enough to see how we exegete. Okay, so here's the third. Oh, you had it up here already. That's good. Hold your place. Hold your place in line. Let me show you these high-speed slides that I had prepared, that I actually prepared, and I sent to Cody and Jake, and Cody redid. <laughs> Without even asking for permission, he did them on his own. Okay, let me walk you through these. Let me walk you through these. Okay, this is kind of cool. This is, I, I, you know, every time I get to the point where I think, I'm not going to do visuals anymore because they sound kind of, they feel kind of academic, I have somebody say, no, I need those, and they help me. So I hope this helps you. I want you to visualize what has happened with the remnant and with the many. Okay, so let's start with this little visual. This is Judah right here, obviously, where it says Judah. This big, thick line. Here's the rest. See, it's thick. That would imply the many, and here's the remnant, the movement. Okay, this, let these arrows sort of be a way of visualizing their journey and the way they're moving. 
Okay, let's next. We know this from the, uh, the last verses that we looked at last week, that this people, the rest, most of Judah, the masses, are disregarding the Lord and their godless and faithless plans. Okay? They're looking to the king of Assyria to be their protector instead of their God. Okay, faithless and godless plans. And as a result, God is a stumbling block to them. Okay, next. On the other hand, the remnant, though, instead of disregarding the Lord and having godless and faithless plans, they're called to regard the Lord as holy. And instead of conspiracy and fear, hit the next one. Yeah, <laughs> That's, that was a nice touch, Cody. That was really good. Don't, don't call conspiracy what the world calls conspiracy. Don't fear what the world fears. Instead, fear the Lord. And then the beauty, the next one. Oh, yeah. He's going to be a sanctuary. He's going to be a stumbling block to the rest and the many. But for those who are regarding the Lord as holy, that are fearing the Lord instead of man, he will be a sanctuary. Now, all that was just from last week. Okay, hit the next slide. See, I draw that little line there. That's from... Uh, verses 11 through 15. Now, this week, though, we built some new things in there. This week, we built that also the many, the rest of Judah, are consulting mediums and necromancers. They're getting financial advice from somebody who's broke. Okay, that's so dumb. That's really dumb. Okay, next. On the other hand, the remnant is waiting and hoping. The work of waiting and hoping and holding on to the testimony and the teaching. Next. Okay, now these little lines, these circles down here sort of give you the, sort of the arrival, sort of the, what you're left with, all right? So you might be thinking, if you've been paying attention, what should go in that spot right there, hit it, darkness and despair. That's the outcome for this departure here, the outcome over here for disregarding the Lord, faithless and godless plans, consulting mediums and necromancers, or anything other than God is going to be a darkness that never experiences a dawn. Right? That, that's going to be the outcome. Darkness and despair. All right, hit this last one here. But for God's people, though, hope. I'll take that over darkness and despair. Anybody else? Anybody want that? Anybody want that? Yes. Then the way we do that is we regard the Lord as holy. We fear the Lord instead. We wait and we hope. And we hold on to the testimony and the teaching. We bind it up. We seal it. We're uncompromising. Now, show that next slide, if you would. This is the point that I made at the very beginning. Just a small compromise can result in significant departure. You notice that line. We showed that line getting further and further apart. It's just a few degrees apart here. Say, ah, let's make this deal with Ahaz. Just this one time. And then that becomes something that is a long-term departure that leads the many down a path away from God. Man, I want to encourage you to just think through the important work of holding your place. Go back to that last slide, if you would, the previous one. Holding your place in line. Here's a point I want to make with God's people this morning. We don't know where we are on this line in our times. Okay, we don't know where we are in here. I found myself on these Sundays as we've, as we've been using these sort of words um, like, let's, let me find them here in my notes. Um, these times of persecution where we're seeing invasion by armies and we're seeing conspiracy by foreign powers and 
you know, we're seeing the potential of lives being taken away and livelihoods and, and losing our land. It's kind of hard for us to relate to. I think the most persecution we experience is that someone might conspire to leave us out of the block club party. <laughs> Man, nobody likes us on our block. We got left out. Conspiracy. We don't really experience significant persecution like, and potential persecution like these guys do. So it, it's potential for us to just dismiss this whole message as irrelevant. But here's the reality. We don't know where we are on this line. I was thinking about in the last 30 years, if someone had told me 30 years ago how the freedom of, of religion and free, the space that we would have in our country to exercise our faith would have eroded as much as it has in the last 30 years, I would have said, you're, you're crazy. You mean the Supreme Court is going to redefine marriage? That's not going to happen. <laughs> you're out of your mind. You mean people are actually going to have fines against them if they don't make a, a cake for a gay wedding? Are you serious? You're, you must be joking. If in the next 30 we experience as much erosion as we've experienced in the last 30, then what we might be doing is right now we might be holding our place right now for our children to walk faithfully in tomorrow's context. Man, that matters, doesn't it? That matters. Do you want to be faithful now? Do you want to practice well now so that our children will play well later? Man, then we've got to learn how to wait and hope. We've got to learn. We've got to be faithful to bind it up and seal it and hold fast to it. Because we need to teach our children how to do that. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. Man, Christians have been persecuted for 2,000 years. If we think that's an age-old problem, an ancient issue, you look around the world and wonder what tomorrow holds. Maybe God will call you to a far corners context where you're a missionary, where you experience this. We're waiting and hoping and binding up and sealing and holding fast will be your lifeblood. Man, I want to be faithful preparing tomorrow's church, even if we're not in times of difficulty right now. I realize that training Marines, one of the most important things about training Marines is, is helping Marines see the importance of training in times of peace. Because if you wait till you're in harm's way, you know what happens? I'm going to use a Marine term. You get whacked. You die. Because you train in times of peace. God's people need to learn to train in times of peace. Men in this room need to take seriously what we've talked about this morning. In waiting and, and hoping and holding fast to God's word. If this is a space in your Bible where you're completely unfamiliar with, and you're like, man, I don't really know anything about this Babylonian exile thing, and Isaiah, and all these people, and Ahaz, and, and uh, um, Tiglath-Pileser, and Israel, and Judah, and all that. Ask for a study Bible for Christmas and read that bad boy. Train in times of peace so that your family will be able to brave times of trouble. And so we as a people, as a church family, will prepare our children to brave tomorrow's context. Man, this is the St. Crispin's call for us. It's a rally call for us to be faithful. Let's practice well now so that our children will play well tomorrow. Those are my points this morning. I don't think I have any other slides, do I? Is that it? I didn't have a good plan for landing the plane this morning. I was just kind of like, that's, that's it. That's it. I, those are the three things. Bind it up, seal it, guard it. Don't compromise. 
as a family, as a church family. Don't compromise on that. And then secondly, wait and hope well. <laughs> Learn the art of waiting and hoping. Don't settle. Don't get hangry. Wait and hope. It's part of the call. There's some sweet blessings to come to the waiters and the hopers. And the third thing, hold your place in line. If there's been a cool Isaiah outcome, Lynn Daniel was talking to me about this a couple weeks ago. He said, man, it seems like it, it should cause us to sort of pan out and see the call to be faithful right here, not realizing what's around us before or, or after us. We know what's before us, but not knowing what's after us. The call to be faithful right here and today not once things go crazy and once things get difficult, but right now, right now, right where we stand. A call to fidelity. Man, that's been good for me. I've needed that. Let's pray. Lord, this is a good, good encouragement, a strong encouragement. Your strong hand was upon Isaiah and it's been upon me. It's been upon us, I believe, Lord. I pray that you would grow in us even a deeper resolve and commitment to be faithful to your word. That in, in experiencing you through your word that we experience and hold fast to Christ. God, I pray that you would teach us to wait. Teach us to wait and not offer up our Ishmaels. God, teach us to wait on you. And God, third, I pray that you would cause us Keep us in your way. Cause us to be faithful for tomorrow's church's sake, for your glory's sake. God, we commit these things to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to share a passage with you from Hebrews for our supper. And it has, uh, it has to do with our, our message this morning. If I can find Hebrews. There we go. In Hebrews chapter 2, this is interesting that the Hebrews preacher, we don't, know, we don't know who he was. Some people think that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know that for sure. Uh, I think it may have been Apollos. But he's a preacher to a, a, a pastor to a Jewish church, likely in Rome. Okay, a Jewish church that would have been very familiar with all that we talked about this morning. So familiar, in fact that the Hebrews preacher can quote from Isaiah with no explanation. But listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 2. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now he's speaking of Christ. Okay, listen to what he develops here. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Now, this is, he's saying here, Christ is not ashamed to call God's people brothers. That, I, remember that, I remember that Sunday being a surprising Sunday, a shocking Sunday. But listen to what he says next. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. Listen to what he says next. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. I told you he quotes from Isaiah with no explanation. Contextually, 
What he's saying here, what he's calling this people to is fidelity as they go through a dark period in Rome under the heavy hand of the Roman Empire. Fidelity. And this language where he says, Behold, I and the children God has given me, tells us that Isaiah and those with him, the remnant, was a type of Christ and the church. And it's beautiful if you think that way. Because then you start to look back at where we went this morning and go, oh, we don't need to follow Isaiah. Isaiah has a message for us, but we have a new and better Isaiah, and his name is Jesus. And we need to just stick with him. And that's the message for God's people today. The path we need to stay in, it's not up there anymore. That's all right. You don't need to go back. Remember where it was right here? Oh, yeah, there's, bam, you guys are fast. That path right there, okay, that's one Jesus wide. One Jesus wide. Man, we stay in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. (laughs) You want to know what path to stay in? Stay with Jesus and his people, and you'll be fine. Stick with Jesus and his people. That path is one Jesus wide.